0: Hey, welcome to episode 73 of the Gig Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stevie Taylor. Before we chat to Barry Leaf, I just wanted to let you know that you can subscribe to the Gig Life Podcast. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of that first page and click the red button. Pick your favorite podcast app and then hit that subscribe button. Also, sharing is caring. If you dig this episode or any of the others, please share it with a friend. The Gig Life Podcast is free. You don't have to pay anything, ever. But if you find value in the Gigalife Podcast, you can securely donate. Go to thegiglifepodcast.com and click on the donate button. You can give as little or as much as you like. Any donation will go back into creating the great content for this podcast. Okay, episode 73, Barry Leaf. Here we go. Today is vocalist and guitarist Barry Leaf. Barry was born and raised in Blenheim, a small town in the South Island of New Zealand. He moved to Wellington to chase his dreams, formed the band The Simple Image, had a number one hit and things just rolled on from there. Baz moved to Sydney in the late 60s where the music scene was booming. At one stage there he was playing three gigs a day, six days a week. He met Frank Zappa at a gig, joined his band and toured around Australia for a while in the mid-70s, Barry and his mate Ian Couch started the famous Musos Club gig in Sydney, which became the place to be. It was a real institution. As well as also being a professional session singer, Bass kept busy through the 80s, 90s, the 2000s and now with his own projects, his own bands and his own shows. In 2018, Barry released his album Rhythmised, which in my opinion is one of the coolest sounding records I've heard in a long time. It was an absolute honor to sit and chat with Barry about all that stuff I've just mentioned and so much more. An incredible vocalist and one of the nicest fellows you'll ever meet. So, ladies and gentlemen, can you please give a warm welcome to Mr. Barry Leaf? Cheers. Welcome to the Good Golf Podcast. Am,
1: Thanks for asking me,
0: mate. Man, sweet. Been um <laughs> yeah, looking forward to talking yeah. to you for a while and um glad you were keen to do it.
1: Mm. It's cool. Pleasure, mate. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um and we were just talking about the Sydney was hit by some pretty uh pretty rad storms over the yeah. weekend. And you were saying <laughs> you live on the northern beaches yeah. on the on the sort of the beachfront there, and yeah. you got a bit hammered. Yeah, we
1: do. <laughs> Well, we we're talking about, it, weren't we? Yeah. That, you know, water gets in anywhere it can. And yeah. if it's coming at you horizontally, yeah. it'll find a spot, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, lots of towels, lots of wet towels yeah. inside and, you know, all that. But uh,
0: had you ever had leaks in that place before? That you uh, knew about? Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: okay. Uh, but the front of the house is like an atrium. So oh, right. I'm standing there with <laughs> <laughs> holding the frames oh, while, while the windows are sort of, you know, <laughs> going in and out, and I'm thinking, oh wow, this is really heavy. I n- I've never seen it like that. Yeah, I, no, I mean, That yeah. wind, uh, I reckon that wind was we, we're looking at maybe 90, 90 k's or something, yeah. maybe more. I don't know, but it was, it was probably pretty a bit heavy.
0: Di- diffused by the time it got out here. Yeah. I mean, mm. we had the big, we got a big gum tree out the back, and that was bending a bit. But mm. oh, we got
1: a lot of gums up there too. Yeah. I was looking out the window, and they were just waving in the wind. You know, like wow. Yeah. And there's a lot of trees down. Yeah in our area because there's a lot of gums along there and they just, they get so wet and then uh, they just. They just pop, eh? They just go bang. Yep. And it's all over, yep. you know, across the road. Yeah. yeah. But we've survived, and so. You,
0: and you're here, you made it here. <laughs> <laughs> all the roads are open. <laughs> yeah, good stuff.
1: Crazy country, isn't it? Yeah,
0: mate? it is, man. Jeez. It is. Um. Yeah. So how's, how's the start of 2020 sort of? been for you music-wise?
1: Look, it's really exciting. Um, I sort of, I guess I sort of um, got a bit relaxed at the end of last year and had a real think about what I'm doing, you know. Um, Nothing um, like a headache, but uh, thinking of, uh, you know, things that I'd like to do. Um, And we've started a new show that uh, should, we're beginning probably mid-year, we were going to... um, we're going to do Boss Gag's Silk Degrees. Oh, really? We can do the whole album. Oh, wow! Uh, from track one to track eleven, right? Uh, or ten, whatever it is.
0: <laughs> do you know we had Louis Shelton on this
1: podcast? Did you? Wow! Yeah, yeah. we
0: did a Jeff Bacaro uh, yeah. roundtable oh, wow. interview. So <gasps> it was myself, uh, Kerry.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Kerry dialed in from New Zealand. Yeah, Louis cool. dialed in from Queensland. Wow! And um, oh, that's cool. Dave Ferry and, and John Adams. Yeah. And uh Matt, we, we played two tracks off Silk Degrees that yeah. Louis had played on that Jeff yeah. Picaro had played on. Wow. And just watching him yeah. on the screen like goofing off to these songs, <laughs> oh man, it was something else. <laughs> but yeah, what a what a album How it was. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean I've been doing the West Coast rock thing yeah. for quite a long time. Yep. Um and we just felt we, you know, we needed to um try something new, you know. We've been getting, I mean, really. Been really lucky, you know. Like, we've mm. had a really good run, but mm. it was time to try something new. So, the answer to your question is, um, yeah, it's exciting because we're working on that and, awesome. um, you know, pushing the album that we released, yep, um, two years ago Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk a bit about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and still pushing that. And, uh, yeah, it's looking good. Yeah. So, and of course, I'm doing a lot of this work with Pete, you know, Pete Northcut. Yep. Yeah. So we 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 work together a lot, so um yeah, getting a bit excited about all that. That's
0: great, man. Yeah, that's really yeah. cool. All right. Well before we get into more of that stuff, it's what we usually do is like roll it right back to where it yeah. all began. So yeah. um you were were you born in Blenheim? I know you lived down there, Yeah, but yeah, you, I yep. was born in Blenheim. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um for people that don't know where Blenheim is, it's sort of towards the top of the South Island of New Zealand yep Marlborough. marlborough um yeah tell us about those days man, like oh. um music in the family
1: yeah a little bit mm. um dad was uh he was a bit of a five string guitar player mm-hmm. and occasionally he'd come into the the uh, bedroom and sing a couple of moldy songs mm-hmm. and we'll talk about yeah the 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 moldy link yeah shortly um and me and my two brothers, we'd just go off to sleep while he'd sing, you know, <laughs> Blue Smoke, you know, or Heidi yeah. uh, uh, you know? mm-hmm. Um And I, I think, you know, it probably started me a bit by staying awake a bit longer and watching. Ah, right. Seeing what he was doing, you know, how he was playing and mm-hmm. listening to him singing. He wasn't a bad singer actually. Mm-hmm. Mum wasn't really um, musically inclined but she loved – She loved good music. Yep. And she, she, I think she thought I was a bit of a, you know, uh, I might have had a bit of talent in that area. So she helped me and and pushed me. And, you know, in those days, Blenheim was an amazing little town that had so much talent and had so many bands, so Mm. many. And we'd have lots of festivals and there'd be talent quests every. Every three months, you know, so yep. I'd be pushed into them. So that's yeah, how you. Right. I mean, that's how you learn. As a singer. Yeah, yeah, That's, yeah. that's how you learn it. You, yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, you know, frightened, totally, totally scared. But yep. she'd just give me aeroplane sickness pills and send me off. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Okay. Um. Um. Mentioned Maldy before. Yeah. Now yeah. your father mm. was adopted by a Maldy yeah. family. Yeah, just talk a bit about
1: that. Yeah, well he was the youngest of nine kids um, and he was born in 1927 so it was the depression, the Great Depression. So things were pretty tough and his mum was a postnatal depression person and uh, Mary Leaf uh, was the housekeeper and was asked if she would look after him, which she did. And then as uh, his... Mum, his Pakeha mum, yeah. uh, said, "When I'm ready, I'll come and pick him up," mm-hmm. uh, which everyone agreed to. Um, and Mary, uh, Mary took my dad James up into Dargaville, uh, and then they just sort of basically became inseparable. Mm-hmm. And of course, when the main, when the family, the Pakeha family, came to pick him up, he wouldn't go. And they heard they were coming to pick him up and so Mary and Dad hit the road and they just went bush. Right. And I'm not sure how long they were there just hiding the bush but I'd say it was a fair while because they they hunted them they couldn't find them. Right. And they, had, they actually had two policemen looking out trying to find them. They couldn't find them. And they just lived in the bush and mud huts and... Uh, Smoke deal and speared mutton birds. Yeah, right. <laughs> wow, man, <Yeah>. it's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty full pretty, on. Yeah, well, yeah. pretty wild times, you know. Yep. Um, and well, I think I'm pretty lucky that you know I had a father that was brought up that way. Yeah. And um, survival was like, you know, he taught me lots about that. You know, mm-hmm. about living off the land, and he oh, did. That's you cool. know, he was amazing. He was. He was. Uh, he was probably seven or eight. Um, looking after farms, um, feeding himself off the land, riding horseback down to the beach, gathering food, you know. Um, was he
0: still going to, was he going to school? Wasn't was going to just, school.
1: No. He actually couldn't speak English till he was about 12 or 13. Oh, wow. Because he wasn't going to school much and, of course, he only spoke Māori. Yep. Um, and they tried, you know, teaching him. He was pretty wild because that's how they were, you know. Yep. Uh, they had to survive and uh he wouldn't go to school much um yeah so uh they eventually um that sort of got it sorted got sorted out by the fam- the Pakeha family coming uh, finally reaching them and they finally got them out of the bush and they brought him into a local area where there was a courthouse and they had a on the spot um, uh discussion with both families and it was worked out then that um he wouldn't go back to the Pakeha world. He had to stay there. Oh, wow. And they agreed to it. And as time went on, he said, look, uh, I think one of the words he said was when he could speak in English was, I, I will see you again soon. <laughs> wow. and, and and did he? He did. Yeah. And eventually awesome. when he, well, well, then it was, we're talking about, he was 16, 17, and, yep. he, and he went, uh, started, um, enlisted, Second World War. Okay. So... Um, that's another story, you know, like, um, he didn't really make contact with his, with his true family until after the war. Mm-hmm. And then because he, he was growing up and he was, um, he went back and met the, met up with them and they became close as well. So we had the best of both worlds, you know, or he had the best of both worlds, maybe, you know, he was a man of two cultures, you know, yeah, it was yeah. really, really difficult, you know. Yeah. And um, he didn't the war didn't treat him too good. He came back um not well um mentally. Yep. Um he struggled with it, you know. Mm. And he struggled with his with his two cultures. So he had a hard time. Yeah. But he taught us a lot. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's gone now. But
0: When when did he pass away? Uh twenty years ago.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. He was an amazing man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah.
0: that's fascinating. Man, that's yeah. really cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. that. That's cool.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um.
0: All right, so let's go back to the talent quests and yeah. stuff. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. yeah. So what? What was? Well, the, it was, look, it's an amazing story because I don't know. I don't know how lucky you can be. You know, like you know, when you're trying to learn to be, when you well, I just think. My, I don't know, I sort of accepted music might will be a pretty important part of my life when I was really young. Mm-hmm. Even though it was freaking me out to be a performer, I just felt, it felt like that's where I wanted to be, you know. Uh, and so in our town there was a lot of um, things went on with um, festivals and all sorts of, you know, town get-togethers And and in that town was – you know, lots of Maori musicians, lots of Pakeha musicians. Mm. So there was a really great culture. You know, there was a with Dad's connections in Maori. we'd go to the pās and we'd we'd sit with musicians in the pās, and I'd just be you know blown away with the way they played guitar and the way they sang, and and I just was just feeding off it, you know. Wow. And then I'd go to um other situations where we'd be doing talent quests and we're meeting up all, all the top parkia players and, um, it was just an amazing town, you know, wow. uh, full of bands. Um, you know, the number one band was my heroes and you know what I mean? It mm. was like, there was a lot of competition. Mm. Everyone wanted to be great and, you know, it was just, the music was awesome, you know, um, it's just a fabulous, fabulous time, you know, brilliant. And, um, you know, that I got to the point where when I was at high school and, you know, teachers were saying, Barry, it's now time to really, you know, seriously think about what you're going to do, you know. Um, I said, oh, well, it's pretty simple. I, I want to be a musician. And of course that, back in those days, I'm talking in the 60s, um, that was considered a hobby, mm. uh, not a real job. And, you know, they're pretty heavy about that, you know, mm. with studying and doing all that. And I just kept saying, no, that's what I want to do, you know. Um, So as soon as I could, I got out of school and uh, found a job that suited me. You know, it was a simple job, but all the time I was just practising and playing guitar and Mm -hmm. and then enough money to buy guitar and amp and and started playing. And I was sort of helped along the way a little bit when I was at Intermediate, as you probably know, in Mm -hmm. New Zealand when you're 11 and 12, you go to intermediate, or they did in those days. Yep, yeah, I did too. Yeah, yeah. and so in those days, um, the music teacher was so supportive mm-hmm. and we ended up with a, a skiffle group um, playing ukuleles and we'd do the school oh, cool. assemblies, you know. We'd do the school song and then we'd do a, learn a new song every week and play at the end of the school assembly. Mm. So it was really cool. I mean, that's, you know, how do you get, That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Well, Intermediate was
0: around the time, you know, I was getting into music too and and early drums. Um, Mm. I don't know if you remember the New Zealand Symphony Orchestra Percussionist drummer, Gary Brain from New Zealand. Yeah. Well, he came to our school one Uh, day and and did a mm. performance. Mm. And I didn't really get into it really, but my my younger brother, he loved it. Mm. And, um, it was from that moment on drums came into the house, mm. you know. Mm. Um but yeah, I was playing started playing piano around that stage. Right. Yeah, and we had the music room and had all the Glocking spills and xylophones and recorders and all mm. that sort of stuff and yeah, it was a pretty cool time, man. Yeah. 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 Um is that seat comfortable? I can get you another seat. You look like you propped yourself no, up. No, no, it's cool. Oh, okay. Cool. Oh, sweet. No, fine. Oh, okay, cool. yeah. Yeah, I'll cut that Very out. comfy. Yeah, all oh, good. <laughs> I just, I tend to fall asleep in yeah, that one sometimes. Cool. Yeah, awesome. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I guess, well, I w- so, you know, in those days, yeah, we were doing talent Quest then, even, with playing ukuleles. So it was on, you know, we, we started. We were, we were getting into it, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and then to go on into playing electric um, with our heroes, you know, and all our there's some wonderful players in Blenheim and, and mm. they were so cool. Um, I'd get asked to come along and sing a couple of songs with the top band in town, you know. And we, I'd do I don't know, Moon River and at the end of a rainbow or something. Yeah. And I'd be advertised um, The Boy with the Golden Tonsils.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's cool, man.
1: That's really so, yeah. Cool. So, How long uh,
0: did that stick? Uh, the Boy with the Golden Tonsils. Uh, uh, did, it, did it come out, did it leave Blenheim? No, no. No. You'd probably use it in your flyer today. Yeah, no, 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 no.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that was my that was my uh, my description. Yeah. That's cool. So yeah, so and they were fantastic. You know, very supportive. You know, mm-hmm. and um, but you know, uh, I knew that I couldn't stay in Blenheim, uh, you know, for long because you know I really had this desire, you know, to um, to crack something, you know. Okay, that's cool. And so, you know, I had to go to Wellington. So I, d- I went to Wellington. Sorry, were you, had you
0: started playing electric yeah, guitar at this playing. stage? Yeah, it was So playing. can I ask who those earlier, I'm sure, I mean, I understand there would have been the the influences inside Blenheim and mm. the players there, but mm. were there outside influences from a guitar point of view at that stage? No. It's just Blenheim. Mm.
1: Yeah. Awesome. It's yeah. yeah. cool. Just Just trying to be like them. Yeah, Yeah. wow. Uh, All my, you know, all the people that I admired, I wanted to be like them. Um, But I knew that, you know, like there was the revolution that started, you know, like the Beatles and, you know, and the Shadows, you know, I guess the Shadows started it all, you know. Yeah. And we all wanted to be, I wanted to be Bruce Welch. I wasn't really interested in being Hank B. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. No, no, I really liked rhythm, you know. Yeah. Always have, you know. That's Uh, cool. I just like playing rhythm. I, I just think rhythm's a really cool thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so I liked, I was right under Bruce Welch and then, I, and of course our first electric band was sort of based on Shadows type music, mm-hmm. you know. And of course as time went on the Mersey Beat thing happened mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden it was vocals. So I was in my element then because rhythm, guitar and singing. You know? Right. Uh, which you could do on your own. Yeah. You know? Yep. So you could do gigs on your own. I mm-hmm. mean, we're talking, you know, 64, you know. Yep. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yep. What uh, What year did you um, go to Wellington? Uh, Would have been 66. Okay. So yeah, around about that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 66. Um, so you jumped, jumped on the ferry and… Jumped off. on the ferry. Um, I was, I knew a guy, I hadn't actually worked with him, but he was a drummer from Picton, which is just out of Blenheim. Yep. And he was a good mate and he sent me a letter saying, mate, you should come over here. Um, this is, you know, there's opportunities here and I'm working at a place called Todd Motors, which is in Petoni. Oh, in Patoni, yep. Yeah. Yep. It was a, like a metal finishing, you know, they were building valiants and yeah, Humber, right. Humber Snipes. And, it's a billion dollar company now oh, oh, these man, days. Man. Wow, yeah. gee. And uh, he said, why don't you come on, I've got a gig there and it's really good money and, you know, we'll, you know, we'll get a band going. Because I had a band but… When I sat down and said to the guys, look, I think, you know, we really should head to Wellington, they didn't really want to go. Um, but I was really, I really needed to. So I said goodbye and took off and mm. met up with me, mate. And I and I got a job at Todd Motors, you know. And it was really, it was great money. It was something like, was it pounds then? I can't remember. I think it was about 20 pounds a week. Right. And then you could do overtime. So before you knew it, we were had enough money to buy better gear. Mm. I mean, I had gear, but we you know, could get better gear. Yep. And mm. and while I was there, um, I met Harry Licky. Um, I should say my mate that asked me to come was um, uh, Gordon Wiley, who mm-hmm. was the drummer. The drummer, in, drummer, right. He became the drummer in Cymbal Limits. And we met Harry Licky, and we started as a three-piece. Uh, I played just rhythm with a few riffs, and Harry played bass and Gordon Wiley, and we – And we came, we went back to, I hope this is not boring for everybody. We went back to um, Picton on, usually at Picton during the school holidays is the, you know, tourist time, you know, it's a holiday place. Everyone goes there. And uh, we had a resident gig there for, I think it was a week over Christmas. And while we were there playing, uh, there was a band called Soul Sect, I think they were called. And then that band was Cass Gascoigne. He was playing a uh playing bass and singing like a dream, and I knew we needed him Right. But if we were gonna if we were going to get anywhere we needed that guy you know and they were brilliant I mean they were doing beach boys stuff and you know you know with that, they became formula the right. formula mm-hmm. um so we Later on, and that we needed him, and he—he was really happy with the band he was in. They were—they were really good bands so How did you do it? But we just kept at him. You know? <laughs> I just knew that we needed him. You know, I don't know how, but we knew. I—I well, I think I was—I probably pushed the hardest. I thought we got to have this guy. You know, we need that top-end harmony because Harry was a good singer, but he was—he you know, he was very, very good at thirds, and and he was very clean and and really good pitch, mm-hmm. and. Um, we needed that topping, you know. I just knew we, he was the man. Cass going; we had to have him. Well, eventually uh, Cass rung us and said, oh, look, i um, do you still want me to join your band? This is like three or four months later. And we just jumped jumped for joy, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And he joined us and we waited for a little while because he was working out at Trentham. He was a, he was a chef mm-hmm. for the Army. But he finally got out of the army and then that was it. We st- we got a house in Lower Hutt or I think it was Lower Hutt and we started practising and we went to an agency called Universal Booking run by a guy called Tom McDonald and he took us on because he liked our harmonies, you know. Uh, he said, you guys would be great for twenty sts and weddings and you know that sort of stuff and we right. said, okay, fine. Yep. So we ended up doing that sort of work. Did you have your name at that stage? I think we were no. No, I think we were called the Vaqueros. Uh, Vaqueros, how'd you come up with that? Oh I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: don't know. Uh, yeah. It just sounded
1: sort pretty of cool. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess we you know, we might have thought that we were hurting, you know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people. Yeah. You know. Uh and then and then we must have when we finally sort of started to get a bit more popular, we changed our name to the Simple Image, and and then Tom promoted us quite heavily as as a you know the next big thing. You know, mm-hmm. we hadn't had not anything going on at the time. But what what went well for the Simple Image was we were very lucky that there was a producer called Howard Gable, who worked for as it was then HMV, which became EMI later. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was uh, working with a guy called Lee Grant, Mr. Lee Grant. He was like a pop singer, um, quite very popular. And we were asked to uh, back him in a gig uh, in Ōtaki. Um, and so we we agreed to do it and drove up, up to the gig. We backed Lee Grant. I hope it was all right. I can't remember if we're any good at backing people, but I hope it was. <laughs> Uh, but in the audience was Howard. Howard was there because he was looking after him. And um, he really yes. liked us because uh, we did a bit of our own stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, within about two months we were in the studio That's with cool. a recording contract. Right. Um, we didn't really think much of it. We just thought, oh, how cool to just go and record a song. We weren't writing anything because in those days it wasn't – you didn't write much. You were sort of – You just went in there and played. And yeah, you just sort of – it was about – I don't know, just about playing really cool music, you know. Yep. Um, writing was sort of considered difficult because people didn't know your stuff, you know. So if you did songs that they knew, you were getting more work, you know. Yep. And we couldn't really do parties or weddings or anything if we were an original band. So mm-hmm. we were getting quite a lot of work because we were doing covers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so we when we got in the studio, uh, it was Howard that – Gave us the songs. Okay. And we and through Howard and um, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. There was an arranger working at, at HMV at the time, a keyboard player. And through them and us, we worked out our arrangements for the songs that he found, you know, because they had a catalogue of songs. that you know. Right. And away we went and we recorded a song called Two Kinds of Lovers. Which had which suited us down the ground because it was all about harmonies, it was all about you know vocal bits do you know all sorts of stuff going on, yeah, and it actually charted wow. <laughs> our first single right. I think it got to number nine on the charts in New Zealand, wow, so we were pretty pretty blown away and and because then there was a lot more interest and okay we got to get in and start recording some more stuff, and it was then he we were going to do a song called Shy Boy, um, which was a cover. Uh, And then we were looking for something to do on the B-side and Howard said, what about this song? It's called Spinning, Spinning, Spinning. And we thought, oh, it sounded like a pretty pathetic folk song, you know. (laughs) But the way we worked it was, once again, Howard cleverly used our vocals to create, you know, quite an interesting sound. Yep. And um, we recorded it, released Shy Boy. But everyone played Spinning, 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 which was the B-side. Right. And it became a number one hit. Wow. And so then we were really seriously in business, you know. Right. And and then we just worked the country for I think three or four years after that. Oh, wow. We did record an album and we recorded singles. They did quite well. Grooviest Girl in the World did very well. And quite a few of the songs did well on the charts. But you sort of get to a point, you know, where are you, you going to go now, you know, um, and I decided that I'd start to really get serious about singing. And I was listening to really, you know, guys that the rest of the band weren't really into, you know. I mean, there was, Who, you know, who were they? Uh, Traffic, Steve Winwood. Okay. Um, mainly. Uh, anything with, of that sort of genre mm-hmm. I was into. And I was really into sort of um you know, the early days of stacks. you know, like um, Wilson yep. Pickett, Otis Reading. Yep. I was really into, you know, soul or R&B yep. as it was called then. Yep. You know, I uh, just loved it because it was all about playing, it was all about groove, it mm-hmm. was all about, you know, Symbol Image was a, a really fun band but it was a pop band. Right. You know, it wasn't rock, it, was, it wasn't It was groove. I gotcha. It was just a fun It was a pop band, pop band. yeah. yeah. Did they keep? Did Simple Image keep going? They did, yeah, they did. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they kept going. It was interesting actually because we were in Christchurch at a place called The Scene and there was a band playing on the night. We were there called the Retaliation. And we looked at each other and I said, you know what, this is it. That guy singing in that band should be in our band because I'm going to join them and I'm, gonna, uh-huh. and I'm going to Melbourne. <laughs> so that's how it went.
0: Is that right? Yeah.
1: Oh wow. So I joined. Well, the drummer and <laughs> the band was called Retaliation, and the drummer and I got together and said, "Let's get a band together, and let's go to Melbourne." And so it was perfect. That that night. Yeah. And the singer, oh. the singer was a guy called Doug Smith, and we asked him, "Do you want to join the Simple Image?" And he jumped at it. Right. So, Retaliation broke up, but the drummer and I took off to Melbourne. Right. And we grabbed a couple of guys from Wellington. Nick Bagwell, Bagno, uh, a bass player, and a guy called Phil Fritchard, guitar player, um, who's well-known in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Phil, he works with everybody over He's still working flat out. And off we went to Melbourne.
2: That's how it all
1: ended with me and Simple Image. Right. Um, and we went to Melbourne and hated it. We what, f- why is that? Because it was – there was no soul there. There was no R&B oh, right. going on. It was all – pub rock and, you know, at that time we just were out of place, you know. Mm-hmm. And then someone said, what are you guys doing here, you know, playing this sort of stuff? You, you should be in Sydney. Mm. So we told the agent we're out of here and jumped on a train and came up to Sydney. <laughs> and we ended up working um, in Sydney with all the GIs coming from Vietnam on R&R. Yeah, right. So we were in soul heaven. Yep. That's all I wanted to hear was you know all the stuff we were doing. So you know, we were gigging all over the place.
0: Right. And what,
1: what year did you move to Sydney? Um sixty-nine. Right. We we moved into we moved came from Melbourne to Sydney on the night that guy walked on the moon. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And what was his name? Oh um <laughs>
0: I can't remember. Armstrong was it Armstrong? Yeah, I was going to say Lance Armstrong, but that's
1: no, no. <laughs> Neil um, um, Neil Neil Armstrong. Armstrong there was we go. It Neil
2: Armstrong. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah, he, he,
1: and it was right. on a little black and white television in the Plaza Hotel. Right, you remember watching it? Yeah, mm. and we 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 just booked in, and everyone was sitting in the lounge room and watching this sort of really faded thing, you know. And we're going, "What's happening?" You know? Yeah, right. And it was this, yeah, Neil Armstrong walking on the. I think, yeah, it was him, wasn't it? Walking on the moon. Well, there you go. If we've made a mistake there, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> or I'll do a fax check and I'll write it in the show notes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. So that was it. But then uh, I actually rejoined the Simple Image. Oh, right. About a year later, they came over and they were working. They had a really good gig at Whiskey A Go Go and earning good money. And and they were really, they were good. They, they'd really… That sort of augmented the band by getting a, a guy playing Hammond organ. So the, the material was a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, they were more, more rocky, more hard edged. And Doug decided that he wanted to, he could see a really lucrative living doing clubs. He was a good singer and he could go out and he was, you know, had, had front, wore nice suits and he could do, mm-hmm. you know, the club floor shows yep. and make good money. And so I, they asked me what I'd come back and I, was, I, was, I wasn't – our band was going okay but, you know, with people coming and going and leaving and it was a bit messy. Right. So I decided I'd, I needed something a bit more solid and they were working six nights a week. So I decided to rejoin them. So I did and we did two more years at Whiskey. Right. It was great. It was great having all those harmonies and, and we were doing more sort of West Coast sort of stuff. Right, you know. so you're in your element. So I started to go that way. Yep. I mean, I thought, you know, sort of as a singer, you know, you can only scream, you know, for so long before you do damage. So and I, I, anyway. knew I, I knew I wasn't a Wilson Pickett and I knew I wasn't a Otis Reading. Right. And I thought, you know, I think I'll go West Coast. It's more, more my thing. Yep. Yeah. So that's why it that's happened then. Mm. Um, Who were
0: you listening to specifically, music-wise, around that time, do you remember?
1: Whoa. Um, yeah, Doobies, mm-hmm. yeah, Doobie Brothers, um, yeah, it's oh man, um, it's a, such a memory thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think back, we were doing some pretty amazing material, Vanilla Fudge, mm-hmm. um, because they were really dramatic, you know, and that sort of thing. Uh, really cool bands like Spooky Tooth, um, you know, a few country rock bands, mm-hmm. um, all that sort of stuff, you mm-hmm. know, uh, more, and groove, you know, got really good grooves, you know. Um, I and I loved, um, obviously. I think roundabout, about we were sort of starting to get into sort of more blind faith and that sort of stuff, you know, and, and traffic and mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff, um, you know, and I and I sort of had a very, I had a very. Um, uh, I was really into good singers, really into um you know, guys like James Taylor and yep. um always been into a guy called um BJ Thomas. And all those guys were my I was inspired by them because their pitch was amazing. I'm just so into pitch, you know. Yep. Um I just think it's really important. Yeah. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> and uh and they were my heroes, you know. Yeah. Um and there was like guys like I wouldn't say I was influenced by, but I admired and I was inspired by. Um, I was inspired by guys like Donny Hathaway and Marvin Gaye. Yeah, right. Just beautiful singers, you know. Um, that whole, all those white Texan guys as well, um, you know, a guy called Mick Finnegan, Mike Finnegan. Mm-hmm. Um, not that well known, but um, he was out here recently, a brilliant uh, Hammond player, mm. um, and working with Bonnie Raitt, so, oh, right. and, you know, he's worked through the years and, you know, fabulous singer, just, mm. uh, awesome, mm. yeah. Yeah.
0: How was your guitar playing going at the stage? Were you? Um,
1: guitar, yeah, it was sort of interesting. I was always really, I hadn't really sort of realised where I wanted to go with it, um, But then all of a sudden I think probably Tom Johnson really inspired me because of his style, that rhythm style, the Mm -hmm. groove, you know. Like if you listen to um, some of that early stuff, you know, listen to music, um, Long Train Running, Mm -hmm. um, heaps of them, their first single called Nobody Mm -hmm. and the rhythm tracks are awesome. Yeah. And I really, really sort of took notice of it and thought, wow, I haven't heard anyone doing that, you know. Yeah, right. You know, and then I just started to, I start. That's what set me on the road. I think to being very comfortable as a performer, just having that. Really, you know, I just sort of took it on, and and, and it just was. It came easy. Yep. Because I'd had all that, that background. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Maori rhythms. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, from way back. You know, and just were you
0: <clears throat> were you playing? The the moldy style without a pick,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. yeah do you, do you still play like that now, no, or you can play no, with a pick no, now. No, yeah. I can't, my fingers can't take it, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> my first thing is gone. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah, they get all black and all, yeah. you know, and blisters, and yeah. No. yeah, um, but yeah, no, it was really that's an you know, another point about just how, getting into that rhythm thing, and we were talking about it earlier, um, just really um, getting involved in it and understanding how it works, um, has been so good for me, mm. you know, because, you know, I play, I started to put bands together where, where I knew that if, if I could play well enough, I could start everything. Yep. Because I, I used to freak out when someone else had counted in the wrong tempo. Yeah. You know, yep. it just killed me, you know, I just couldn't take it, you know, my, my heart would split. Right, I you. Gotcha. <laughs> And so it was my way of um, keeping control of it. Keeping that. control yeah, of it. Yeah. You know? So I'd start all the songs. You know, is it still like that today? Yeah, it's Still like that now. That's cool. Yeah. And I think most people like it, right? Because it just takes away. A, they get the groove. Yep. They get the tempo. They get the court, the key it's in. Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, without anything else. Yeah. Uh, and I just go, and I always said, you know. Um, because rhythm helps you to be powerful without anyone else around you. Yeah. That you I was, can start anything. Yeah,
0: I was going to say, mm. like, mm. Th- you were t- just talking about those songs like Long Train Running and listen mm. to the music. And mm. they're definitely songs like, after a couple of seconds, mm. you know what the song is. Mm. Mm. And that can only be great for a crowd mm. listening. Yeah. Because sometimes a, a full band might start something mm. and yeah. not quite sure no, what it is yeah, until yeah. someone starts <laughs> singing. and
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So that's been great, you mm-hmm. know. And you're right. The audience do pick up straight away, you know, they're just, and they're into it. They don't care if you, you know, I've always said, you know, I mean, I love the fact that I've been lucky enough to play with really good players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's just because I've been around yeah. for so long that you know, I've I know all these guys and they're all brilliant, you know. And mm-hmm. I know I know that they can they can play by ear. They don't need a chart. They don't. Yep. They're just brilliant, you know. And yep. and I love, I love giving them a bit of framework mm-hmm. to work with, mm-hmm. so they don't feel they're trying to create anything that isn't there. You yeah, know? cool. And they can just contribute. They can and just sort they, of compliment.
0: They buy into that too. Yeah, eh? and they just go feel for it. Feel comfortable. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and I, I've always said, look, if you're not sure, give me a give me the verse and chorus on my own. You know, just let me go. Don't don't worry. Yeah. Feel free to just stay out until you feel you're ready, you know. Cool, man. And and they like that, you know. And usually they pick it up pretty quicker than quicker than that, but yep. But at least as they know you're not worried about all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just makes everyone comfortable, you know. Yeah. And then away you go, you know. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Sydney in the seventies and eighties.
1: Wow. Good yeah. time, eh? Well, wow. Yeah.
2: That
1: was amazing. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, um, there was so much work, you know, um, for every for everyone, everyone, yep. everybody. Mm-hmm. There was, uh, well, if we're talking Sydney, there was a lot of work because there was just so many Americans coming in every week, you know, right? And um, all the all the clubs were full. Um, the the music. Was really cool because this, they wanted West Coast, you know. Right. So it was all really cool stuff. And and it was just so much fun playing to an audience that knew the stuff that you'd prior to that. Right. A lot of people were going, Who is that? What is that? And, right. you know, not really knowing, cause just not into it, you know. Mm-hmm. But they were into it. So you're playing to it like a, an audience ready to go, you know. So it was just fabulous and, you know, lots of work. We were doing like, um, we'd do breakfast shows. Yeah, right. Breakfast shows. Then we'd do a lunch show it's somewhere somewhere else, you know, in a small club, mainly in the city city area or up the cross. The cross was booming. Yep. Um, so, you you know, we'd do um, a lunchtime show. Then we'd, we'd be doing, then we'd go into whiskey and play from, 8, was it 8.30 till 3, 20 on, 20 off. Wow. Yeah. And um, that was six nights a week. Now there's, a, that's how you learn your craft. Yeah. Man. Were you playing the same
0: kind of music in those three different?
1: Yeah, pretty well.
0: Pretty pretty much playing yeah. that same yeah. repertoire. I mean
1: the breakfast show would be a bit more A little, more little laid bit laid back, back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Not quite as heavy. Yeah. But Yeah. Uh, And it was fun because you could sort of, you could do a lot of the stuff that you wouldn't normally do on a rock night, you know, you know, a nice, you know, good ballad or it's medium groove, you know, nothing too over the top because, I mean, a lot of them were suffering from hangovers, you know. Yeah. So they didn't really want you to push Mm. it too hard, but. Were you guys suffering from hangovers? No, I think they were. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we
2: probably too. Probably were too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I lost my train of
1: thought. I, well, I had a question then. Well, they just the, the seventy. The seventies. It was. It was weird because when was it? Seventy two, seventy three. When the Americans pulled out of Vietnam. Not sure, man. Yeah, I think it was around about then, seventy two, seventy three. It just died. Just the like the scene died. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah. So we all had to rethink. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> you know. Um. Yeah. Um. It was still vibrant. Um. Because they'd started it, you know, that the Americans had come in and created this whole thing. There were a lot of clubs that were still going, and uh, but a few went went under. Mm. Um. But a, a few it did create a few that that went on, and uh, and we were getting work, you know, playing this sort of stuff. It was pretty lucky. I mean, I wouldn't say that we would have worked if we were like a you know, travelling around the country playing what we were playing. Okay. I think that might have been difficult. But in Sydney, always sort of stuck to Sydney when it comes to playing because the rooms were intimate and yep. you weren't playing in reverb drastic halls or, mm-hmm. you know, I just can't handle that sort of thing, you know. It's just yeah, right. playing in good rooms, you know, where the acoustics are good, you yep. know, yep. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we kept playing hard at it, you know. Mm. Um. And then out of that we ended up, um, I met up with a, a manager called Ian Couch, um, good mate still today, um, and we went hunting because we realised that as the scene got thinner that we'd have to create our own work. So it meant we had to find a room and then set it up and then make, make it work and we were lucky enough to find a room a brilliant room that wasn't being used uh, at the – it was called the Muso's Club, Musician's Club. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, there wasn't much going on there. And uh, we just walked in one day and said we'd like to hire the room upstairs. It was a brilliant room. Mm. And uh, the secretary manager said, oh, yeah, Um, what's the deal? And we go, oh, what about if we put on a production on a Friday night, Um, you guys take the bar um, we'll just t- have a small door charge. He went, you said, yeah, fine, okay, we're not doing anything up there. Mm-hmm. So that's how it started. We started there uh, with a cool little band, um, great band actually, mm-hmm. um, just a four-piece. Yeah, who were those guys, do you remember? Um uh, bass player was Greg Lyon, the guitar player was Steve Murphy and the drummer was Steve Hopes, I think initially at that at that one. Steve was with Crossfire. Mm -hmm. Uh, Steve Murphy was a brilliant guitar player from Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And of course Greg Lyon was with um, Crossfire as well. Um, He's doing great things, working up in Lismore. bass player, fantastic bass player. Mm -hmm. Um, We started, uh, I think, mm, 66, uh, 76, something like that. Uh, Started on a Friday night, um, just worked at it. Um, started to grow, started to get a lot more people, got more people. We said, oh, let's do Saturday as well. And they said, yeah, because they were happy. They were making, making good money. money. Yeah. So we did a Friday, Saturday, started to go good, uh, packing it out. So we went Thursday. <laughs> so we ended up doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Wow. And we did it, uh, right through till 79. Wow, man. And it was brilliant. It was, uh. It was just good timing, you know. Um, Ian was, became really into sound and we spent a lot of money, that, the money we maybe put back into a system, mm-hmm. like a really good system, and the room could take it. It was really well, um, was built properly for the acoustics and it became the most popular gig in town. Wow. Yeah, they were lining up along the You know, all along the road, you'd pull up and they're all lining up to get in. Yeah. Because it was like a really, at that time, it was a full on dance gig. Brilliant, you know, big dance floor, uh, big stage. Huge PA, you could walk into the bins, you know, you could walk yeah, into right. the basement, they were huge, right. they were huge.
2: Yeah, I mean, the
1: sound was amazing. Lucky you didn't have to lug. I know. Hey, No, no no, lucky. <laughs> no. And Ian was great. He was a good engineer. Yeah. He really nailed mm. it, you know. So. Was, it, was it you guys playing the four nights or were you getting different? We had a guy called um, Leon Berger, mm-hmm. uh, a Russian piano player. He's a, he's a bit like Billy Joel, you know. Okay. But he was really good. And he had a great band as well. He had guys like Rex Go, you know, Rex. um, Paul Knife on drums, who is in the Kites. Um, uh, Rex Bullen, my hero, piano player, um, organist, uh, mini Moog player. Um, Yeah, really good band. And it just seemed to click. You know, he'd come on and do probably 9 to 12 and then we'd come on twelve thirty to 3, you know, something like that. Uh, he'd do his thing, he'd have 'em rocking. We'd come on and just continue continue the rock, you know. And it just really worked a treat.
0: Were you playing? Like you, if you're starting that gig at twelve o'clock, were you doing other gigs? Was that leaving you open to be able to go and play another you gig could, somewhere but else? Well, but you, could, you didn't. But no, we didn't, didn't need to. eh? no, we didn't need to. Yeah, no. yeah.
1: awesome. I mean, it was, it was you know, it was a fair bit of um, energy to get. To get yourself rolled up at 12. Well, 12, that's what I'm
0: thinking. What, <laughs> what do you do up until then?
1: Yeah. Mm. Uh, it seemed to work. Um, we ended up, I guess, you know, it ended up that eventually we had Steve Howison playing guitar mm-hmm. from LRB. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And um, Harry Bruce on bass. Mm-hmm. Um, and a wonderful drummer. um because we had a few a few drummers earlier on and then we ended up with Sunil da Silva yep and, like playing drums or percussion yeah, playing drums yeah right and and uh Samila a African percussionist mm-hmm. who was a brilliant draw card because he'd take his shirt off and you know <laughs> and he was you know amazing. musty must looking car- yeah khaki shorts yeah right um, yeah. Roman Sandals and his hair done in flats and things. You know, they just loved him, you know. <laughs> work it. And he'd take percussion solos and the people would go mad, you know. Right, that's cool. You know. So that really worked to treat that band. It was, it, was really, it was a really good live band, you know. We tried recording it but it didn't really work. Didn't catch the vibe, no, eh? No. Because we were really intense, you know. It was a really intense band. I mean, I play some of the stuff now mm-hmm. um, and it's like just full on. Right. Know? And it's sort of… It's hard to capture that and have a great production around it when you're recording that sort of thing. It's really more a live, it's a live thing, you know. Yep. Because as soon as you go into a studio, you have to pull everything back, to, you know, gotcha. and it just didn't work. You know? Yep. But as a live band, it was awesome. Mm. Yeah. Was that place becoming
0: a bit of a hang for musicians as well? Yeah. Being being yeah. sort of a late start thing. Yeah. People roll in after yeah. a gig and…
1: Yep. Yeah, that's how I met Pete. Was, okay. oh, you know, right. I think he was about 15. Right. <laughs> 15 or 16 sneak, right. sneaking in, you know. <laughs> and he'd, he'd tape, um, he'd bring a little tape and, and tape Rex Go on the band before us, you know. Yeah, right. And uh, he, he laughs about it now, you yeah. know. Uh, but yeah, there used to be a lot of a lot of music. And it was really cool because uh, a lot of touring bands would come in. Right. And a lot of players that were on tour, with, you know, with, we used to get a guy called um, – Davis, what was his first name? Dennis Davis. Dennis Davis was the drummer with Stevie Wonder. Mm. Um, he used to come in, and he, every time Stevie Wonder would come, or whether Dennis was out here with some other act, he made a beeline to play with us. Wow, and I've cool. got—I've actually got a CD I made up of him playing with us, and it was just wow. He was such a great drummer. Uh, he's gone now, but uh, oh, right. yeah, he was a really good drummer, and we had such fun with him. I met a fantastic sax player called El Seymour. We came really close. And I went to Canada and worked with him. Um, he was with Blood, Sweat and Tears and the latter part oh, right. Father, Blood, Sweat and Tears. Right. Uh, and he used to come out here with Neil Sedaka and all that. We became really close. Um, he's gone as well. Uh, but I worked with him in Toronto. Right. Um, he was a brilliant musician. Uh, yeah, so I met a lot of nice guys, yeah, you know, really cool. great musicians and… You know, we played with a lot of a lot of people, and yeah, most of the musicians would come in, and it was like networking. You know, was yeah, like, yeah, you know, Someone would go, oh, can I you asked. do a gig? You know, blah blah blah. Yep. Um,
0: yeah, it was good. It was really good. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see the end coming?
1: Uh, was the scene starting to change a bit? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Was it, that? It was sort of interesting because I say that a lot, but um, you could tell that the. I think it was sort of house music and disco was sort of starting to become more popular. Okay. You know, big systems, um, throbbing, you know, bottom end. Um, I could see it was changing. Um, But I sort of didn't mind. We'd had a good run, you know. And I think well, it was sort of interesting because you asked me that because in 79 we were peaking like and – I decided I needed to go to America, just to find out where I'm at, you know. Okay. And it's funny because um, I took tapes of songs and stuff like you do, you know, mm-hmm. reel to reel, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, I, wa- I was trying to get um, in touch with uh, mm-hmm. from Silk Degrees, um, the guy you've with Louis, with Louis, Louis Shuttle, trying to right. get yeah, right. trying to get in touch with Louis, right? Because uh, I we were we. We were doing a lot of stuff off Silk Degrees at that time. Yep. And it really worked for us because it wasn't that well known, the album. You know, we're talking 78, um, 79. And uh, people used to say, Wow, where are these songs? Who, who are these? Who's, <laughs> right. Who does these songs? And we go, Boss Eggs. Who's Boss Eggs?" You know, yeah, no right. one knew because it sort of, although it was released earlier, it didn't really take off. I don't know if you right. remember the story about silk degrees. Silk degrees took a long time to take off. It yep. took a year or something yep. after release. Uh, so we captured the market before it really took off. <laughs> <know>. <laughs> That's so, great. So I was right into Louis, um, thinking I've got to meet this guy. I've got to, you know, fit the front, you know. Yep. But I could never get onto him. Like you, you know, when you get to LA and you're walking around. Hollywood Boulevard and you're ringing people up, no one answers the phone. Yeah, right. (laughs) So I gave up on that and just really, I just spent nine months just travelling around L.A. and then over to New York and just seeing people. You'd open up an L.A. um, Sunday paper and you've got just huge amounts of gigs with people you can't believe Mm. are performing for so little money, you know. It'd be a wine bar in Hermosa Beach and you'd go and see, you know, some of the greatest musicians you've ever heard, you know. Um, it's just amazing. I just man, I just took it all in, you know. Mm. And I worked with um a few people, uh, just in small, you know, holiday in van gigs, you know, mm-hmm. or um uh I'd go to say our Jimmy Smith Supper Club on a Monday night where people can get up and sing with the band, you know. Yeah. And I I got to sing with Jimmy Smith, you know. Right. And and they really liked me. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh yeah, just stuff like that, just going and singing in different places and just just feeling the whole thing and listening to bands where the rhythm section was tight and, yep. you know. Yep. And they played so well and so confidently and so musically and, yep. you know. It was a it was really cool and and I sort of had my time then went then I went to New York and that was even more an eye opener and and I thought I've got what I want now I've got what yeah, I right. needed I don't need to stay here yeah. I mean I wouldn't want to live in L A anyway mm-hmm. New York was amazing but I wouldn't want to live there mm-hmm. it was you know I'd, I'd I'd done it you know and I um uh it was what I needed I was I was glad I went and I was couldn't wait to get home to get. My new ideas Get cracking together. Yep. So yep. to, at which um, I ca- I came back and put the band back together, but with a few different players because I wanted to do something a little bit more sophisticated. Because mm-hmm. at that time I was really into George Duke and yeah, right. uh, and all those sort of cats, you know. Right. So I, I was throwing all the stuff at them, and we were doing all the stuff, and we went back into the Museo's. Big hurrah, hurrah! Barry's back. And we went into <laughs> back to the Museo's club. And over time, we started losing our audience because we weren't playing what we'd played before. Ah, right. And it was a big that I'm, old that old chestnut. Yeah, it was a big yeah. shock. I, I thought they'd want something new. Right. But no, they didn't. They just wanted the old stuff. Right. So I had to start bringing back some of the old stuff, to for us to pull pull an audience back in. Mm. It really disappointed me. You know, like I thought, well, this mm. you know we're really trying to. Give you something different, you know, something new. Because you're wanting to grow as well, yeah, you know. Of yeah. course. It was really disappointing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it taught me a lesson to, mm. you know, um don't just think because you're gonna do something brand new, everyone's gonna love it. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of a bit of a learning curve that one. Mm. Yeah. Um when did you meet Frank Zappa? Um Yeah, we have to go back to 73. Yeah, I thought we'd yeah. skipped it. Let's let's yeah. About that 73 i was mm-hmm. in a band called bakery mm-hmm. um uh really uh western australian they were quite well known for they were they were doing rock masses mm-hmm. sort of and very heavy pretty heavy rock but but sort of deep purplish mm-hmm. and um i joined them and we would we were doing the normal touring around a little bit um and we're going quite well, uh, and we ended up in checkers one night. And um, you know, we used to do road ladies um, and a couple of other things, uh, dog breath or something, and a few other zephyr things. It wasn't really my thing, but yeah. I, I didn't mind road ladies because was like a blues, you know. Yep. And uh, and we're singing um, road ladies, and we and I'm looking out and I'm going. Isn't that weird? I'm thinking to myself while I'm doing <laughs> it. I'm, I'm thinking, isn't this weird? Like, we're doing road ladies and that guy looks like Frank Zappa. <laughs> <laughs> you know. And to a huge surprise it was. And <laughs> and we, just no idea, you know, like uh, we'd been away and we'd only just got back into town and it was our first gig in Sydney and so we had no idea that he was actually in Sydney. Right, and uh, But then I sort of thought, um, there was a few other people with him and there was, you know, a few black guys and you sort of think, oh, these guys are from out of town, you know. And um, I, we never thought much of it. And we we just sort of, we did the set and we came off and this guy came around the corner, black guy, saying, oh, I'm Frank, Z-, you know, freaking out we were, um, when he said I'm the tour manager for Frank Zappa," and I went, oh, shit. <laughs> 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 it really was him. Uh, and we were more embarrassed that we yeah, were doing we Road he, Ladies. Yeah, we kill, killed his song. <laughs> <laughs> we were more, more worried about that. Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, Frank, uh, Frank would like to talk to you. Um, and so <laughs> I think we'd finished the set and so I, he said to me, Frank would like to talk to you. So I went out and I sat with Frank and he was just, you know, a polite conversation. Uh, said he loved what we were doing, blah, 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 blah. That's cool uh and um he said would would you be interested in having a chat i went yeah 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 he said well do you want to meet me tomorrow you know let's have lunch um so i did and he said to me that he really liked what i'm what i'm doing I, he said that i could probably freak out a bit more was his words mm-hmm. like you know when I when I say freak out, I want you to freak out. I'm going, yeah, right. Didn't understand at all what he meant. Right. But anyway, uh, he said, "I'd be interested. I'd really like you to come on, come with us on the rest of the tour, and we'll just talk about the songs and see how, see what you think and see what we think." And it was like an audition, basically. Right. But he sort of offered the gig. You know. Yeah. Was freaked me out. You know, <laughs> I just got married. I had a twelve month old baby. Right. I'm thinking, oh, this is oh, this is going to be weird. Uh, but, but I just went timing's along. Timing's not great. It. No, I just <laughs> <laughs> I just went along with it. Yeah, and because uh, his whole thing was he was promoting overnight sensation and apostrophe two albums, and on those albums was a guy called Ricky Lancelotti, and he wanted me to join up with him, so that we could do like a fluorescent leads and Eddie, which was like the guys from the Turtles. Right. He wanted to get that back together again. That whole idea of two two vocalists, you know, at mm-hmm. the front. Um. And I thought it was pretty cool and I went, wow, you know, I went along with it. I just said, okay, so so I hit the road with him and we'd talk a fair bit. Um, He was digging the idea. I'd go out and sing Road Ladies as part of the act Um, in Sydney and Melbourne. I didn't go to Perth. um, And I'd be sitting there like, here's me sitting next to George Duke on his on his <laughs> stool on the Hammond and he's yeah. playing, he's, if he's not on the roads, he's on the V3 and, mm-hmm. you know, introducing the song. And I'm thinking, oh, this is unreal. You know, this is amazing, you know. It was incredible. It was really amazing. But I went for it. The sound was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really, I really broke through that ceiling, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It was the first time I've experienced it. Mm-hmm. Where you always got a like a a level that you know you're you can hit you can go to and that was it and I went there and went through it <laughs> oh, man that's cool and it, did yeah. you did you freak out no no I loved it it was like when no because Frank told you to freak out a bit more didn't well well he <laughs> I was freaking out all right but yeah, I mean – not in that way <laughs> no on the inside I mean I was freaking out and when I listened to I, I do have a tape that someone sent me of of me working with Frank at um, the Horden Pavilion, mm-hmm. and all I'm doing is screaming. Really, <laughs> you know, it's like in lots of years and screaming, and and I'm hitting notes that I've never hit before, you know. Yeah. Um, because that's what he wanted, you know. Yeah. But it was it's a bit painful when I listen to it now, yeah, right? Uh, but yeah, no, I, I broke through that ceiling. It was yep. just amazing. It just exploded through his like polystyrene roof. Wow. And came out into space, you know, and um, I just felt. Incredible. It just felt comfortable. Mm. It felt easy. Felt I could do anything. Mm. You know. It was an amazing feeling, you know. It was sort of different to when you're in a groove. You know, when you're in a band and everything's just locked in and the everything's yep. in the pocket and yep. it just feels amazing, you know. That's yep. why you're doing it, you know. Yep. This was different. It was yep. um it was going out into another sort of area, you know. Yeah, I I um
0: when you talk about that I think of David Jones, drummer David Jones, mm. when I was talking to him, he spoke of an experience like that. Mm. Mm. He was playing at a club and he just, mm. same sort of thing. Yeah. It was almost like an out-of-body. Yeah. It's like he just yeah. looking back down on yeah. himself and, yeah. and then everything changed yeah. after that. Yeah. You know? and, and And sort of what you... Who you are, and, and it's you, not mumbo jumbo. <laughs> Some people would listen to that. Guy, this is mumbo, mum, mumbo jumbo. It's not, <laughs> I know.
1: you know. I know. Yeah. It's sort of what you're thinking and who you are is irrelevant. Yeah, you know, yeah. you're not even. It's not about you. Yeah, yeah. You know, Yeah. it's about, about you're being given a an experience. You yeah, know?
0: yeah. Who yeah. was who was playing drums in Zappa's band at that stage? Uh, a guy
1: called Ralph Humphreys. Oh right, Ralph Humphreys. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, I know who he is. Yeah. Tom Fowler on bass. Mm-hmm. Um, Bruce Fowler on trombone. Uh Jean-Luc Ponty. Oh right. Yeah. Ruth Underwood, Ian Underwood. Um, what a band. What a chance. Yeah. Wow. What a band. <laughs> See, I wasn't sort of hip to all that. At at that at time. That stage, yep. At that time they were playing like it it wasn't you know, like I love and always have loved um instrumentalists like as far as you know, you talk about your Tom Scotts or your or your um, uh, Larry Carlton's or your Robin Fords or mm. your all those session guys, you yep. know. Yep. And then they became, well, uh, would you call it fusion? Would you call it jazzy rock fusion? So yeah, I, I was trying so. to work with rock and yep. jazz, and yep. didn't want to be jazzy, didn't want to be too rocky, but it was that sort of fusion thing. Yep. and I was really into it. But then some people were taking it a lot further. You know, like, um, you know, when I was in Bakery, uh, uh, Rex Vollen was listening to Spectrum, uh, you know, um, Billy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's almost, Cobb, get, Billy Cobb. it's almost going prog jazz. Yeah, yeah. Then, yep. yeah. And I was sort of, it was out of my league. It was sort of like, wow, I loved it. But, you know, like things like Return to Forever, um, all this amazing playing, just unbelievable. But yeah. it didn't. I wasn't really going there. I, I wanted I got, to be contemporary. You want to be in a groove. I want to be contemporary mm-hmm. music, contemporary lyric, vocals, groove, mm-hmm. feel, pocket, um, a story, mm-hmm. telling a story. Yep. Uh, vocally. Yep. Uh, and music, and obviously instrumentally as well, but, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so when the Zappa thing happened, I was a bit, like, out of my... I just felt, wow, this is just... This is cool but not. This is, whoa, this is really cool but is it really me? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Because he took it even further, you know. Right. His arrangements were ridiculous. I mean he'd he'd rehearse, we'd go to a sound check and he'd rehearse the songs without charts faster every time they played it. He wanted it faster and because they're all going, whoa, (laughs) we did it fast last night. I want it faster, you know. Yep. And so he was, yeah. He pushed them hard, you know. Right, man. Yeah. They, they, um, they had to learn all that stuff, and no charts. Right. You know, they'd all learn it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, it
1: was, yeah, they were amazing musicians. How did that end? Oh, um, okay. So when they left, I was um, to be sent a message. Um, what flight to catch? When? Where to? Where to go? Blah 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 blah. And I went, and I'm still like, you know, going, whoa, you know, uh, trying to work out how this is going to work. If it had been today, it would have been a lot easier. But back in 73, it was really difficult. I wasn't very au fait with doing all this stuff. So what happened was they asked me, did I have, he asked me ages before that, did I have any connections with recording companies? Did I have a contract? I said, yeah, I do. i got a, a recording contract with Festival and I think it's called a 5A. I don't think they exist anymore. They're like an international recording contract. They've got you basically by the old bees, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, yeah, I do. He said, oh, can you send it over? So I, I sent it over and I got a telegram about a week later saying, unfortunately, Zappa can't bring him to the group due to your contractual situation with festival, and that was it. Signed Martin Pirellis, who was the uh, tour manager for Zappa, and although I was a little upset, it was actually great because I, I don't think I, I think it was going to be too difficult anyway. You know, I mean, in those days they don't, they don't look after you like. They they do now. Right, you're on your own most of the time. Okay, brand new marriage, baby. Yeah, it was going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and as it turned out, it gave me a profile uh, that I was lucky enough to use. Yeah, and got me going. Got me. That's what sort of got me going building up into the Musos Club and then sort yep. of got that going. So well, right. it really worked for me. And that's it cool. meant that I could still stay with what I really wanted to do. Yeah, that's, you cool. Know, that's you know. cool. I mean, I don't know how I would have gone with, you know, touring with Zephyr and singing outrageous songs and trying to cope, you know, with the whole pressure yeah. of it. I don't know. You yeah, know. right. You know, I don't know. I'm just an ordinary ordinary guy from Blenheim. Yeah, mate, that's you know. cool, man. <laughs> that's wicked.
0: <laughs> okay, um… Yeah so the musicians club has you've you've come back into it changed yeah. the repertoire a little bit yeah we got
1: another couple of years out of it but okay. i knew it was on you it was it was dying mm-hmm. um, but then luckily i got uh, asked to sing with a band called supermarket which was um a band out of uh well it was ba- basically crossfire mm-hmm. um Fabulous band with um, McKinney and Jim Kelly, guitar player. Mm-hmm. Um, and McKinney was a brilliant musician, brilliant arranger, and um, he decided he wanted to put a 14-piece band together, which was unheard of. It's was like, it just won't work, you know. can't work, you know. We're all getting down to three-piece and four-piece bands to survive, you know, yeah, at that time. Yep, yep. Which was, you know, we're talking early 80s because mm-hmm. the 80s was – music changed a lot, you know, like um, punk rock started to appear. Right. And it was like up until that point, you know, music was so cool. It was all production. It yep. was like Eagles, like, you, yep. you know, you Steely Dan, um, mm-hmm. you know, it was brilliant music, brilliant production, you know, like just amazing. And then to, then to find that the whole scene didn't want that anymore, they wanted it. Rugged and out of tune and rough, and right. and with a message that was right. anti-establishment. Yeah, you, know, you know, it was like, it, I hated the whole idea. I thought, right. oh, how can this happen? You know. Mm. So when Mick said we want to, we want to do, um, you know, a bit of a, a Quincy thing, you know, with supermarket, uh, you know, and we want to do Al Jarreau, we want to want to do um, all these other fantastic people that were coming out in America, mm-hmm. and we started. We did two nights at the basement. Do you remember the basement? Yeah. Yeah. And it was in the old basement yep. when you go downstairs and had a mezzanine on it. Mm-hmm. And we ended up doing four years <laughs> yeah, right. regularly. You know, it was so popular. And it, the the band, fl- we were flying around the country doing corporate gigs. That's great. And people were paying it because there was money, you know. People were spending money, yep. you know. Uh, companies were… Showering their employees with some of the best holidays they've ever had, you know, there was a lot of money at that time, yep. So that was fabulous, Mm -hmm. you know. And working with Mick was incredible, he was brilliant, Brilliant. wrote all the parts. See, once again, this is this sort of backs up my idea of um, not necessarily having to be an original artist, but to be an artist that interprets, yeah, gotcha, great songs, gotcha. That's my thing. That's your thing, yeah. I love, I love that because, you know, I, I write music but because I love some of the genius of, our, of the musical world, yeah. I don't think my stuff's good enough, you know, but I think I like the idea of uh, doing my thing with someone else's song yeah. and, and seeing, seeing if that might stick, you yeah. know, it yeah. might connect, you know. Just being, and I love being like second by one point
0: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> you know, yeah.
1: So that you have got longevity, you know. Yeah, gotcha. And and a, seriously maintain a good standard and a good a good delivery, you know. Yep. And sing it with all you with all you got. Yep. You know, uh, and that's why I'm so funny about pitch and about phrasing, and mm-hmm. it's so important, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just love being able to grab a song that that I adore and then having a look at maybe how I should do it. You know, yeah. You know? Well, you've
0: nailed it with rhythmized. I mean, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Like I told mm. you before, I've been listening to that yeah. for the last couple of days. Yeah. That's awesome. So I think before, we'll start talking about that and the process of that mm. album. Um, let's quickly work through. From there. From, yeah, yeah. So it's, yeah. it's this sort of, this has seen us out, out
1: of the 80s. Yeah. Into the 90s now. Yeah, we're into yep. the 90s, yeah. hmm um 90s was pretty tough because uh the music was had just gone down another road that yep that i wasn't prepared to go down um so during the 90s it was sort of more survival it was sort of finding a way put projects together that okay i could probably put in the club so i went into clubs clubland doing different ideas little projects and they worked and because i was Luckily I was, you know, I was working with my age group, my genre, mm-hmm. uh, who were uh, still there, okay. <laughs> you know. Yeah, cool. We'd lost, um, you know, it was over with, you know, the younger age group at that, you know, during the 90s. Gotcha. That <clears throat> had gone really um, boom, crash, um, doof, mm-hmm. doof, doof, doof by that point. Okay. Uh, and, I, and rap was appearing and I hated mm-hmm. rap, you know. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand it. Um, mm-hmm. It seemed to be so angry and mm-hmm. uh, now I understand it. But, um, you know, it's horses for courses, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. that's it. I still, I'm old fashioned. I like like melody. I like, I like a story that you sing, you know? (laughs) Not not a story that you shout at people. Yeah, gotcha. You know? Uh, So, yeah. So, you know, we survived quite well through, Mm -hmm. through the 90s doing that stuff. And then I guess. that's when I sort of became more connected to Pete. Uh, and I gotta say, Pete Northcote, I love Pete, you mm. know, he's he's my brother, you know. Um we both we both love it the real thing and we both love trying to do it as well as we can. I really like his professionalism, I really like his approach, I like he's always on time, mm-hmm. he always dresses appropriately. Mm-hmm. Uh and he works, he works hard at what he does yep. and he's just wonderful to work with. Not to say that there are a hundred others that are great too. Sure. But it's just that I just connected with Pete. And Pete and I have worked ever since together um, and worked with fabulous musicians. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, uh, the West Coast Rock Show, which has kept us going for oh, a couple of decades, so here mm-hmm. we are now um, moving into some new ideas that that uses that as well. And because my album, Rhythmizer is really based on my interpretation of songs through the years that I've loved or singers that I've loved, yep. um, it's that West Coast genre. Totally, you know? yep. Yeah. Mm. So now that album, I, li- I really would like to keep pushing it as hard as I can mm-hmm. so that I can present it. As a whole album, yeah. As a concert, you know. Oh, great, awesome!
0: Yeah. All right, well, let's talk about it, man. So, mm. um, when did the idea come into your head that you wanted to record this oh, album? Okay.
1: Yeah, good question. Um, <sighs> as you know, as 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 a working singer interpreting great music, it was very difficult to make the move or spend the money to do an album of songs back in the 80s, 90s, whatever, because okay. my feelings were that because of the the wonderful music that I was listening to, um, I couldn't reproduce something as good as that. Right. And I'm not talking just singing. I'm talking about production, mm-hmm. talking about – uh Uh, clever arrangements um, uh, and all the stuff that goes with a quality album, you know. So I put it off for 20 years and then I thought, man, um, no, I got a call from Kerry Buchanan and he was in the middle of doing an album called Goodbye Yesterday and he had a song that he wanted me to have a go at called Miss Josephine and so I we went into EMI and spent an afternoon with Kerry and we I think I sang it three times and he said, are you happy with that? And I said, yeah. And so he did his edit- editing and, and I walked out of there thinking, wow, that, that, I really enjoyed that. You yeah. Know, that was really cool. Yep. You know. What a great, cool, I mean I knew Kerry but I didn't really know Kerry, if you know what I mean. Had you, had you played
0: with him at all? Yeah. Yep. I'd
1: done some stuff with him with Vodacious Cowboys in the oh, ver- right, yep. very early days. Yep. Um when we did um we did the basement and we did um I did the first lot of the Steely thing. I, we did Steely Dan, um and I think it became Steely Dan and then Toto. Yep. Over time. Um it was a it was a, a pretty tough time then when I was doing it. I was going through a pretty pretty tough time in my marriage and things weren't great and I did my best but uh, I wasn't really happy with it, you know, and I never continued on with it. Um, but then when he called me and said, come in and sing this, this song, it just blew me away working with him. I just realised, wow, you know, Kerry's really the guy I should be working with mm-hmm. and that's what inspired me. So it was about six months later I rang him and I said, mate, I want to do this album and it's sort of really just for family. I just want to do – because they songs that, you know, I've loved over the years. It was sort of like my life, you know. Yep. But I needed someone with that sort of quality, that sort of professionalism, that sort of, you know, uh, what Kerry had, you know, and uh, I asked him, would he come and do it? And he said, I've got to do it. <laughs> I said, you have to do it and I'm going to do it, you know. Awesome. So, you know, I just went right out. Um, my mum had um, only recently passed away and she left a small amount of money that I thought would be enough to f- finance the album. So, and I knew that she would want me to do that, you know, because she was my number one supporter, you awesome. know. And so I dedicated the album to her. Oh, cool. Um, so we started on it and. Um, as we started as we he said, Well who do you want to play on it? And there was a bit of a discussion with, with him and I about it and I said, I need Pete and I need Bill Risby. I mean, you're going to an album without Bill Risby. yeah, yep. You know? And I'd worked with Dario with Pete's band um a few times at the at the pub in Balmain. Mm-hmm. Um and Dario would blew me away, you know. And I'd booked, and this is a sort of, someone, this is a bit of a, a story that no one would know, but i booked um, Hamish Stewart because Hamish was brilliant, and I thought he'd be perfect for this, you know. As it turned out, Hamish rang a week before the gig and said he couldn't do it. He'd there'd been a double booking, and he had to go to he had to go uh, up to New Guinea or something. And Kerry and I looked at each other, and I thought. Well, Kerry's not going to do it. He, <laughs> <laughs> and we really sort of thought, what are we going to do? And I thought, you know, the only other drummer I've ever felt really cool with is um, Mick Skelton. Right. And he said, oh, but he's just had a terrible accident with um, yeah. Thirsty Merc or something. Uh, and I said, oh, but he's, I think he's out now. I think he's, I think he's okay. And Kerry said, man, if we can get him, that'd be brilliant. He was really excited, you know. So we rang him up, and he seemed quite keen. He said, "Well, I'm not sure how how I am, you know, because I've only just come out of the. It um, he was sort of just, you know, re- getting well. I understand? Yep. And um, so he said, "Well, we'd love you to do this if you feel you could do it." And he was a bit, mm, he wasn't sure, you know. And then when I sent him the the sort of the songs, he got back to me and said, Baz, I don't think I can do this. This is really out of my thing. This is, you know, I don't think it's my thing, you know. He was a bit worried about it and I thought, no, I'm not going to let this go. And so I made him come to to the studio. I said, I want you to come. I want you to just, you know, you. I know you're going to kill it, you know. And he, so he came and we sat in the studio the first day and we just played a few of the tracks. I, I knew he wasn't... F- feeling great about it, by the end of the day he loved it. Awesome. And he said, yeah, I'll do it. Great. And we were just stoked, you know. And, this, and then that week we did all, most of the backing tracks and it was like, wow. It was like my mother was watching her and she oh, was just man. making sure everything was fine. <laughs> it was incredible. Awesome, man. I mean, you ask the guys, if you know, that week when we did all the backing tracks, we all knew that we had something going on that was good, you know. It was magic. It was a magic time. And then, um, and Kerry had moved to Reefton not long after that. And so I was getting him back and forward, you know. Okay. And, and because the album, we knew that we should really put the effort in to make this album work. Let's not do it half-heartedly. Let's not do it cheap. Let's, you know, let's, let's just keep at it. Mm-hmm. And whatever it takes, we'll do it. And so I got a truck driving job <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to pay for it, you know. Wow, man. Because uh, we, we ran out of money, as you do, you know. Right. I mean, Max Merritt was fantastic. I was talking to Max. I sent a message to Max about it. He said, uh, be careful. When you're doing an album, uh, usually the money runs out before you do the vocals. <laughs> oh, <is that> right? <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. Um, so we had to all, you know, get on the money-making trail to to. Stay with it. But it was fantastic because we knew that we had to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And Kerry was amazing. Like he talked me into everything that I was trying to find a way where it wasn't going to cost as much. But he said, Bez, you've got to do it. You have yeah. to do it this way. It's not going to work if you don't do it this way. And he was dead right. Mm-hmm. It was like paying for the right guy to mix it. It was paying for more time in the studio to do the the bits it needed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kerry was awesome. He'd go home, he'd go back to New Zealand, he'd do work in his own time yep. and then he'd come back with all these ideas and we'd sit at home and with our little piano and he'd go, this is what I'm thinking for such and such a track. And it just blew me away. I went, oh, man, that is so cool. <laughs> just so cool. And uh, so that's how it all worked and it went over a fair bit of more time, obviously, mm-hmm. but… um it was it was really easy for me. I I did most of the vocals in 2 days. That's cool. Eh? Yeah. Because everything sounded so good, you know. It just was inspiring, you mm-hmm. know. Um you know, of course we fixed bits and pieces, but generally it was just um a yeah, couple of days um you know, no no vocal tricks, no no tuning, no nothing. Mm-hmm. Just straight in done. Yep. Um so, so was yourself, Kerry, and your daughter yeah, Ashley. Is that right? Ashley. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And that worked. That worked a treat. Uh, everything just worked a treat. It, it, was, sounds, it sounds
0: phenomenal. It right? was amazing. Yeah,
1: yeah. It really was. It was like you know, from the from the players to the singers to my mate Keith Walker, who oversaw the whole thing, and made sure that you know we were weren't blowing. A good track because the levels are too high or anything, you know. Like Keith was fantastic, um, and then, and then getting it mixed and then mastered, mm. um, you know, it was it just worked beautifully. Just couldn't believe it, you know. Uh, and Ashley uh, has this amazing sort of ability with harmonies and and the way she approaches it with air or without air or with gusto mm. or without gusto. Uh, she was taught pretty well by her mother, Erin Clark. I mean, she uh, she taught her, and she's very good at all that. And Kerry was a little, as you know, Kerry. He was um, he he was a bit worried about whether he would nailed it. As a vote, because doing vocals, but he had to do it because he was the one that was writing all the parts. Yeah, right. So no one yeah. else. We would have it would have taken way too long if we were hiring a lot of other people. Right. And we needed Kerry because Kerry knew the parts, yep. and I knew Ashley would be really quick. And as it turned out, they fell in love with each other, um, with the sound and the way they blended. Right. man. And, you know, and that's how the the vocals sound awesome on it. They you do. Know, you know, very much so. Yeah. So. Well. Really lucky, and I, I'm very proud of it to be honest. And I, I just wish more people uh, were told about it. You know, yeah, yeah, they could get out there because you know it's an independent thing. There's no one backing us as far as it goes, but yep, it needs to get out to people because people that eventually buy it or hear it love it. You know, yep, you know, just that. You know, I'm talking about our demographic. You know,
0: yep, I love it. Um, all the all the links, all the download links, and. Shop links mm. will all be in the show notes of this episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. um, And, yeah, I'll, I'll, I've will i got a um, Gig <coughs> Life podcast Spotify playlist. Yeah. um, And it's just got songs from mm. all the different, all the guests. So I'll make oh, cool. sure they're all on there. Right. Yeah, awesome. That, that gets a really good turnaround list. Yeah. It?
1: Well, it's actually quite weird because uh, there's a guy called um, uh, Sean Paul Reeves who is in Normandy in France, and he plays tracks off at all the time. Oh, great. Because um, they got a West Coast rock station. Right. And through him we've had a lot of interest from guys in Spain. I um, think
0: he plays some of K- Kerry's stuff too, doesn't yeah, he, yeah, of Kerry's album? Yeah, 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 he does. Yeah. Yeah. It was
1: through mm. Kerry that actually yeah. that, he, that he got onto it. Oh, right, okay. It. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. he loves Kerry's stuff and – and as soon as it had Kerry producing, he was right on to right it. Right on it, yeah. And uh, yep. and he's been fantastic. Yep. And he promotes my stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. Plus through his, um, you know, playing the stuff, a lot of other stations have been picking it up. Yep. Like in in Italy, Spain, um, you know, a lot of a lot in France, a little bit in England, you know, so in that, all in that area. So I'm getting quite a bit of airtime there. But Great. you know, I want to get, um, I want to get on the. On the Aussie, you know, in the Aussie bill, you know, and and New Zealand. I want to go back to New Zealand. I want to, I mean, that's my dream is to play that album live in New Zealand. That's what I want to do, you know. That's cool. So I need to get it out there so people hear it and then say, okay, we're we're prepared to come and see you do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's my dream. Cool, man. Make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because mum will be there. She'll be watching over. That's it. She'll make sure everything's okay. That's it. (laughs)
0: Just lastly, your 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 signature is your vibrato. Hmm. Um, did you have that vibrato early on in your in your singing, or is it something? So did it come naturally, or is it something that you've specifically worked on?
1: Uh, it's another one of those questions that there's a bit more to it than. Yep, um, I would say. I'm very conscious of vibrato um there are different types of vibratos there are different other oh, right. uh, you know there's different speeds there's different attitudes there's different intensity there's, it's it's quite a complex yeah right. thing um but i think you can overdo it with vibrato you can uh it can get uh too heavy too slow too too obvious um it's it's delicate uh um, yeah. i i, th- I think um thanks for that anyway, about saying that because I wouldn't say I wouldn't say I worked on it, but what I I think I've it's just through experience. It's mm-hmm. just through knowing from my childhood of listening to Moldies um with their beautiful yep. vibratos. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, sometimes it c- can become a bit awkward and a bit um not not I'm trying to think of the word, um, maybe not um, appropriate. Yeah, gotcha. You know, because, and the thing with about, we, which we never touched on, but I did a lot of years uh, singing session work. Doing session work was, was really good education because you just don't walk in there and and sing your ass off, you know, on, on a cornflower or cornflakes ad. Mm-hmm. You know, they want something specific. And it could be diction fix ups it could be um the vibrato's too much can you stop the vibrato can you sing just a straight note right um so there's all those little techniques that you had to learn uh to become uh, you know a good session singer and so that's where i think i learned a lot right was doing jingles and uh of singing people's songs that was saying, look, I don't really want that that sound, I don't want that um that vibrato, I just want it straight, I don't want short notes, I don't want long notes. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of Yeah, right. You know, a lot of lot of talk about how to approach it. Yep. And it was good education for me. Mm. So I thought about I like a vibrato because as long as it's not over the top and it's subtle and it's not annoying. I think that's the word I was looking for. Yes, not annoying, but it's it can it complements a phrase or it complements an ending to a phrase that can be a long straight note with just a slight vibrato to finish it. You know, just to make it a little just round it off. Yeah, just to round it off, type, yeah, round it of off a little. Yep. Give it um, and of course emotion has to be part of it because it depends on what the emotion is. Um, a vibrato can be quite useful. Mm-hmm. As long as it's not overdone and it's, you know, subtle. So I, I I don't see anything wrong with the vibrato. Yeah. Um as long as it's yeah, as long as it's in the right spot. Yeah. Yeah. But just you're yeah, listening to your album the last couple of days,
0: mm. the, th- the title track, Baby Come Back, mm. the v- the vibrato on that's incredible. Mm. Yeah. I got goosebumps first time. Oh well, wow. Well, yeah, cool. Really cool.
1: Yeah. Great
0: song, man. Eh? Top song. Uh, that's better. you your version's better than the original, well, I think. Yeah, well, that's Kerry. It's Kerry. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. But see, that's um, all those songs have a history. Yep, like I picked them for a a reason. Yep, and Baby Come Back was probably one of our most popular songs when at our peak at the Musicians Club. So that had to be there. So it's like you know, uh, where did this song? This song was about the Musos Club uh, because that was popular, and then B.J. Thomas. I did. Um, I took on a pretty tough song, uh, B.J. Thomas's song uh, "Rock and Roll Lullaby." Mm-hmm. Um, I took it on because he was my inspiration as a singer, as a when I was, you know, younger, and I, he, I, his voice just kills me. You know, I just love his voice, and that song was written by um, some pretty amazing songwriters, mm-hmm. um, and so that had to go on there too. But that was also a, a little private story between me and one of my daughters, you know, so that was there, but that will never be told. But that's why that song's there. Mm-hmm. Um, Love Will Come Some Day was basically for McKinney. Um, uh, it just, it's, I did it for him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I did. Um, Cottage for sale for a guy called Ron Barry, who mm-hmm. was um, one of my favourite singers in Sydney, um, and I even one of his favourite phrases I used at the end of it because it just is a out of respect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but they've all got little stories. You know, yeah, yeah. Each of the tracks. What about know? cab driver? Well, cab driver was because uh, Keith Walker said I should do it because it's a great song.
0: <laughs> yeah right. So just just that.
1: Yeah, just that. Yeah.
0: I was going to ask this early on, but we just, I got lost in in you talking about this the <laughs> 60s, seventies, eighties. Mm. Um, when did the session stuff start? And um, and it was great to hear you talking about mm. how you've sort of honed your vibrato mm. and those other skills. But mm. um, yeah, what sort of sessions were you doing? And and I ha- I wanted to ask you specifically what was the what's the weirdest, craziest ses- session you ever did.
1: Uh, well, the fir- first part of the question was yeah. it probably started doing ses- session work in the mid-70s. Okay. And it went through to I think it was probably into the mid-90s. And I think it sort of uh, petered out a little because there was up until then we were like basically being asked to come in to copy a song. Okay. Uh, because they couldn't afford, couldn't afford to, the, to, yeah, yeah, yeah yep. you know. So, yep. And I think something happened where that got uh, changed, and all of a sudden they could buy the original, you know, buy the original song for, you know, wouldn't break the bank. So, yep. So that put us out of business. But mm-hmm. I think also that you know, in the nineties, it's it started to become, you know, sound. Uh, manufacturing new sounds, with, you know, the keyboards and all that. Because I remember, you know, in the early days there was um, no, no real sort of moogs things happening. No, yep. It wasn't happening then, you know. Mm-hmm. So it was all just really simple quartets and singing a song about cornflakes, you know. Yeah. Um, but I guess the the one that I found was quite interesting was, and I got a lot of work out of it, was um, I was Mac Tonight, which was a guy… On a moon, sitting on a moon with a funny moon face, um, uh, singing. Um, it was based on uh, Mac the Knife. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Mac Tonight. Mac Tonight. And that was sort of a growly sort of jazz thing. I really loved it. And Was it a macaroni and cheese thing? Ma- no, it was uh, McDonald's.
0: Oh, McDonald's.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so there was, there was a lot of stuff that tonight. It cool. was really unusual. Um, yeah uh, and of course, out of that, I got some work singing other people's songs for song festivals, yeah, right. that was cool because they'd pay for you to go to Kuala Lumpur or pay for you to go to uh Czechoslovakia or Chile oh, wow. or um all these different you know travelling all around the world, top accommodation, pay for your costume uh learn their song um Go and sing it. It was brilliant. That's you know, great. It, was, it was really cool. It was. I, I loved doing all that. Yeah. It was really cool. I loved, and it was really a. It was really a compliment that they wanted you to go and sing their song. You know. Right. So. You know, we we had a bit of success, not not major success. Nothing ever appeared after. You know, we got a few seconds and thirds, and yep. but nothing ever sort of came of it. But, but it was brilliant. It was fun. Yep. It was really good. Um, because I know Pete did a lot
0: of sound library yeah. stuff. Did you yeah. do that with Pete as well? No. Well that's more just
1: that was more just Pete. music. Yeah, yeah Pete was doing all and he, he he'll tell you that he did very well Yeah out he of did, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Well Pete was the man. You know, yeah, he like, he said he bought a house with the shit. I man. mean, you know, Pete that's the thing about him. You know, he he took that on full on. Like a lot of guys were just like they didn't take it on. It was just a, a cool thing to earn Earn a few extra bucks, but yep. Pete took it on mm. very seriously, mm. uh, and had an arrangement and a, a whole lot of different instruments that they could yeah. call on. And he had all the styles down, whatever yeah. they wanted. He had, you know, he was the first guy I saw that had racks of effects and stuff like that. You know, yep. back in the early days, yep. you know? yeah, and no, I killed it. Mm. You know, it was a good earn. It was like, um, mm. it was a fabulous way to to work. You just go, you know, luckily, you know, you go and, I mean, it sounds a bit big headed, but I actually worked it out in the end that I only wanted to do Tuesday till Thursday Mm -hmm. because I had other commitments like going fishing over the weekend. Yeah. Uh, So, and then I'd work maybe a couple of nights on the weekend. You know, I don't know. I don't know how many gigs we were doing at the time, but but I just wanted to do it for uh, three days in the middle of the week that wouldn't, you know, overlap into my gotcha. enjoying my other recreations. You know? Yeah, you know, <laughs> makes sense. <laughs> but it was a great earner. It was yeah, awesome. Yeah, you know, but but, but like anything, you know, um, it's you spend a lot of money, and eventually the money stops. You know, and um, that's what happened there as well. You know, um, you know, that was the days of um, long lunches. You know. Yep. I don't know what happened there. What happened?
0: I don't know, man. Technology.
1: (laughs) 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 Advertising agencies started, you know, thinking they're spending too much money on having a good time. That's it. You know. Mm. It was fun. It was a good, you know, it was was great because you walk in there and they just play it to you a couple of times and you have to be really quick, you know. And it teaches you so much, you know. Mm. Just you've got to nail it. You haven't got time to muck around and, you know, uh, don't make too many mistakes. Just do what they want, yep. uh, and eventually you get to the point where you know what they want. So you just switch on. That's a cool. Way. And do it. You've got to sell it, right? Yep. Yeah. Put a laugh in it. A bit of a grin. Mm. That's what they want. You know, when there's four guys from an advertising agency all with a different view on how to sell their product, mm-hmm. you just go, "Ah, oh, no, I know what they want. They want. They want a grin. <laughs> gotcha. <That laughs> they want a sense. smile in the vocal." As uh, soon as you pull it on, they go, Yep, that's what we want, you know. Great. So
0: yeah. Got easy. That's cool, man. <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. Um so Barry, I'm wishing you all the best with you know, the further promotion of rhythmized and mm. I'll do whatever I can to um, to push it out there. And mm. um I really want to come and see
1: this. Silk degree mm. show
0: once you've done it. Mm. So let me know when you, yeah, when you got that
1: off the ground, and that'll mm. be awesome. We still, I think we had our first gig in May. Okay, yeah, but I'll let you know. Yeah, right. yeah, 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 be yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, no, it should be fun. Cool. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Like, um, could I just say that mm. you know, if there's young singers out there listening, um, this is all part of uh, a good idea when you want to. Learn something about singing and you want to, you really want to make that your life. Don't, don't go too far ahead of yourself. Like, don't pick singers that you'll never be anything like. Yeah. You know, be inspired by them, but don't be influenced by people you'll never, you'll never get there. What you should do is pick people that you think are in your same realm. I'm talking, range, tone, interpreting a lyric, uh, the style and the lyric content that means something to you. Like pick all the right things for you and then work on them and then that'll work for you. Uh, I just feel sometimes we get a bit ahead of ourselves and we like, you know, I could say to you, gee, I was inspired by Donny Hathaway, but I could never sing like Donny Hathaway, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, but I, but i I definitely inspired um but not influenced, mm-hmm. you know because that's something else, it's like James Taylor, definitely inspired, what a writer, what a what a genius, mm. but to be inspired by not influenced by yeah gotcha. get influenced by someone that you feel you're comfortable with what they do is what you do mm-hmm. it's an a. Same sort of area, yeah. That's about as much as advice I could give to young singers. That's great, yeah. and
0: you could apply that to any instrument, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. just stay in yeah. your wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Barry Leaf, yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, mate. No Appreciate worries, it. Yep, sweet. Yeah. Cheers, Baz. Good on you, beautiful, lovely. Baby, come back.
2: Any kind of full could see. There was something in everything about you. Baby, come back. You can blame it all on me. I was wrong and I just can't live.
3: All my money going out on the town Doing anything just to get you off of my mind And when the morning comes I'm right back where I started again Trying never get to just a waste of time